Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and the class today is sponsored anonymously for the Rufuashalim Av Shoshana Bat Esther Bela. Rabotai, um, there's a very famous story. A story that talks about something that unfortunately, I mean, I, I think we thought that we would never need to talk about this anymore in, in, uh, in America. You know, there was a time where when I was growing up, you know, where this was something, some of you will remember even before I was born, you know, uh, where this was even more of an issue, more of a concern. Um, but we thought that we would never really need to talk about communism in America anymore, right? And in fact, over the, the period that kind of our lives have spanned, we, we thought that maybe we wouldn't, we wouldn't need to talk about communism in the world anymore. And yet, there's a tremendous resurgence now of communism uh, in other countries, again, number one as far as China, but, but what's really interesting, again, China was on the decline, it was, it was disappearing, uh, and, and, and Russia stopped being a communist country to whatever degree. Good, it became a dictatorship instead, but the point is, communism as, the, uh, as this set, as the setting, you know, and this fight against capitalism, it was disappearing from our, from our lexicon. Even France. No. Even France now. Now, what's interesting is now we have it in America, and it's thinly veiled. But again, you find people of various movements. We don't need to get into it. Who are announcing that they are, they are trained. Literally, these are the words: trained Marxists. Interesting. It is fascinating. Okay, so you have this. You have this new kind of uh, maybe threat. Let's call it to democracy, where it's trying to be supplanted by communism now. I, I wanted to talk about Hasfi Shalom. I want to talk about this uh, this idea for one second, uh, because there's an old joke, a joke that many of you will remember, about a young kid in in a communist in a communist school in Russia, where the teacher walks in and asks the kid, you know, wants to see if he's a good communist boy, and he says to him, if you have a factory, you know, what are you going to do with the factory? And the kid says out, you know, loud and proud. He says, half for me, half for you. He says, and if you have a cow, you know, how, what, what are you going to do with it? He says, half for me, half for you. He says, and what if you have a chicken? The kid said, the chicken's all mine. I'm not sharing the chicken, chicken's mine. So the teacher says, I don't understand you. A factory is much more expensive than a chicken. Even a cow is much more expensive than a chicken. You're willing to share the cow, you're willing to share the factory, you're not willing to share the chicken? The kid says, I have a chicken. He doesn't have a cow, he don't mind sharing it. He doesn't have a factory, he doesn't mind sharing it. But he has a chicken. Chicken's mine. So the Pirkei Sefer, Pirkei Machshava, he writes a magnificent idea from here. He says, you know, a lot of times we're willing to do things that, like they say, no skin off my back. You know when I think about this every year? I think about it in the prayers of the High Holidays. Hashem, you alone should rule on the entire world. <laughs> I'm happy to make God the king over the world and over the countries and over the nations, but it's a lot harder to make God the king over me. It doesn't cost me to make him king over the world, but it costs me to make him king over me. And one of the challenges in the process of Teshuvah is to recognize what is my area of jurisdiction? What am I dealing with, which is actually a thing? 
So as an example, a person might look at the mitzvot and ma'asim tovim that they are doing in their lives, and they're looking at the, uh, at the averot that they're doing at their lives, and comes Yom Kippur, and you're saying the vidui, and the vidui says, you know, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and you know, sometimes you're like, oh, thank God I skated on that one. I'm good, I haven't killed anyone lately this year, you know, you know at, least, at least since last year I didn't kill anyone, right? And then it talks about, you know, that you did all these terrible sins, and you're like, oh, Baruch Hashem, I didn't bow down to Avodah Zarah, right? And you're, you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm good on that. There's certain things that we're good on, but there's certain things actually that we know in the heart of hearts are actually, that's, that, we're not good on that. The reparation for that thing, the process of repair, of return for that thing, that's what we mean when we talk about making God the king over you. That's the idea of the Aseret Yimei Teshuvah culminating in Yom Kippur, where the person takes the thing that they have, the Avon that they have, the mitzvah that they're not doing, and they say, Bore Olam, I'm doing Teshuvah on this. This is my chicken. It's not the cow. It's not the farm. This is not the factory that I don't have. This is my chicken. Rabutai, every person knows in their own heart what it is that they've got, that they need to fix. And it's between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a person needs to understand, uh, you know, that the job, this job belongs only to you. But the process of Yom Kippur helps us tremendously uh, in that space. And I want to point out something which I think is very powerful. You know, a lot of times people think about Averot as isolated incidents, things that they do or don't do. But actually, oftentimes, we're not really uh, paying attention to the fact that it's not that I did or didn't say this prayer. I did or didn't keep this Shabbat. I did or didn't eat this kosher or non-kosher food. It actually has more to do, not with an action or with a specific story, but with a pattern of behavior. Chamuvadia writes beautifully, if a person has chance, even just to look in the Yalkut Yosef, when he talks about the process that a person should go through on Yom Kippur, on Aseret Yimei Teshuvah, and he talks about how the same way a person needs to gain forgiveness from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from actions, so too do they need to ask forgiveness for midot, for processes, the way they interact with people. So as an example, what is more important? To say sorry to the person and to do teshuvah to this person that you hurt? Or to uproot from within you the midah that is willing to cut somebody down in order to feel better about yourself? I, I want to explain just what I mean by that. In, in, uh, in the process of Yom Kippur, there are two specific lists uh, of things that we say sorry for. One list is Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Dibarnu Dofi. The second list is Alchet Shechatanu Lefanecha. Alchet Shechatanu Lefanecha, much longer. Right? Especially if you're using the Orot Machzor and you get lost. You don't know the Syrian community says this, the other community says that. You wind up saying everything, right? You know, it takes you 19 pages until you finally get to the end. Okay? Now, what's interesting to me, what's interesting to me, Rabotai, is that. The Chachamim felt the need to divide these two lists. Why did they divide these two lists? And my rabbi said something to us that I remember. It's just so powerful. He said, Ashamnu is not about deeds. Ashamnu is about mentalities. Ashamnu means I was responsible. Bagadnu means I was the type of person who rebelled. Gazalnu means I was the type of person that engaged 
in stealing, I don't understand my own boundaries. I'm willing to take things from everybody else. The Bar Nudofi is perhaps not specifically about the, the Lashon Ara that I mentioned, but it's the way that I'm willing to speak do fi, with two mouths. I speak to one guy, to his face, oh, I love you. And then behind his back, I say, this guy's the worst. Don't ever do business with him. Don't hang out with him. You don't know what he's like. You don't understand. Be careful, etc., etc. Dibarnu dofi. So this first list, the shorter list, is about modes of behavior. And the second list is about actual alchet shechatan al-fanecha, he said, was about specific elements and sins, and that's how a person dials into that, uh, to that idea. And even the general categories, right? He said, even though it seems general, you're supposed to think of the specific sins that you was that you sinned without thinking. Okay? Why is this so important? And I have to I have to share this because this is a very important element when it comes to understanding the mindset of change that a person should have. And this is true not just of of Teshuvah, but even in the wider sense of the development of human beings. When you've done something wrong in a specific instance, then the person's teshuvah has to do with that story, with that person, with that incident. Now you always have to ask forgiveness from the person you've hurt, but it's to do with that specific instance. When you're talking about a behavior pattern, that person has nothing to do with this. And I need to make this clear. The person you hurt has nothing to do with this problem. Because the problem is not from the surface outside, it's from the surface inside. Is this clear to everybody? So let's take a look at an example. Let's say a person gets angry and they scream and they make someone feel like they're worthless, etc., etc. So you look at this and you say, where is the sin here? If I want to do teshuvah, if I want to fix this, where's the sin? Do you have to ask forgiveness from the person? Absolutely, you have to. Yes, you do. But if your intention here wasn't to hurt him, you just lost your temper. So what's the sin? The sin is anger. The aftermath is that this person got hurt. To focus on that is to completely miss what it is that it takes in order for me to actually change. So as an example, what I really need to work on in this scenario is that my temper gets too hot too fast. I need to slow it down. I need to calm it down. I need to make myself less sensitive. That person is an innocent bystander that got hurt, but actually may have very little to do with the fixing of the sin. I definitely need to ask him to sh- for mechila, but that's a byproduct. He's an innocent bystander on the side. I think that the reason why people are doing teshuvah again and again and again, year on year, for the same mistakes, is because they're focusing on the wrong part of change. So if there's Avon, that you know and I know, we, we sit there on Yom Kippur, we actually mean it. We really feel, I, I just didn't want to do that, I didn't want to do this, and that's why these extended vidui's are so good, because you go through all these different eventualities and possibilities, and it sparks the mind, and you're able to remember these things, and you actually do feel regret, and you don't want to do it anymore. So what happens? Why do, why do you do it a second time if you don't want to do it anymore? And you know what the answer is? The answer is because the regret that you feel and that dedication that you've chosen is aimed, you're aiming at the wrong target. You're trying to fix the deed 
and not trying to fix the creed. The creed is your modality, your mode of thinking. So let me give you an example. Someone gets you angry, why does a person lose their temper? Let's think about that for a minute. Let's think about it. You got angry, you hurt someone, so let's not think about the hurt because that was a byproduct. Let's think and focus for one second on the anger, okay? Why do you get angry? Sorry? You're not in control. You want to be in control. Okay, everyone agree with that? Yes? I don't. You know why? Because for one guy, it's about control. For another person, anger actually has nothing to do with control. It's all to do with ego. I remember seeing people that I respected tremendously screaming at each other like a bunch of children. You know why? Because they were well-respected people. They couldn't believe that that person would say something like that to them. It wasn't about control. For a person that feels a need to control, that's what sparks the anger. So effectively, what is anger? And you're right, but not always. And the ego guy is also, that's the reason for him. But for each and every person, what sparks the anger, the cast, can be something very different. Now I want to share one last point on this element because this is really the work of Teshuvah. is to go, what I call, is to go hunting. Load up your rifle, go into the, into the forest and start to look for what it is that you need to be hunting for. You're hunting in the story of anger. What gets you angry? For one person it might be control. A second person might be ego. What, what else is a possible reason why a person, a person would get angry. This is fascinating. Hold on, this is fascinating. The number one reason why today millennials, Gen Z people get angry is not because of ego. It's not because of control. It's because of a failed perspective on entitlement. They have an expectation that they should get what they want to get. They were taught by the world that they can have anything. They were taught by the world that the world belongs to them. And by the way, to a large degree, you're watching that happen. You know, the fact that these people that were running, effectively running our world, are not 80-year-old businessmen like Warren Buffett. He's a big investor, okay? But that it was young people that were creating social media platforms, that were creating digital money systems, that were creating... So this generation learned that the world is my oyster. So suddenly, we have a situation where people who are millennials or whatever, they feel that they should be able to get the law to change because they don't like it. They feel that everyone needs to call them what they decided they identify as all part of the same concept the world revolves around me everyone needs to step on eggshells around me so their anger doesn't actually come from ego they don't think that they're any better than the next guy but you also have to be very careful with my with my feelings so today there's no comedians are not allowed to make jokes about anything or about anybody everyone is very sensitive to anything because we've created this expectation we've created this sense of entitlement on what is and now we're reaping the benefits of that system so Rabotai if you want to understand your anger or your lack of patience or you want to understand why are you jealous so as an example let's look at that for one second just one second with me why are people jealous in this world if you really believed 
that something that belongs to somebody else should belong to them. And I, I should have what I have. And you believe that Borei Olam gives every person what they deserve. Where does jealousy come from? Jealousy starts because you feel, I should have that. Why? Why should you have that? I love this concept. You know, and sometimes you think, we're all crying and we're kvetching because we have to downgrade somewhat our lifestyles. Rohi, for the majority of human experience and human history, the vast majority of the people lived beneath the poverty line. They were making vegetables in their backyard and that's what they ate. Is that where we are? When that's not where we are. I want to have things the way I want to have them and if not the way, they're not the way I want to have them, then the world is coming to an end. Someone said to me the other day, Rabbi, the, the economic system is really, it's a disaster. No one can afford to live. I said, who asked you to live in Manhattan? Who asked you to go on vacation? Who asked you to have a nice car? Those clothes that you're wearing. You know, there's much cheaper clothing in Kmart and Walmart. You see, we're demanding certain, we're demanding things from life. This is what life is. If I don't have this, I have no life. So I'm not saying that a person should not be worried or upset. There are lots of things to be afraid of. But if you were, you were to understand that, you know what? Even if you had to cut back, even, you'd still be okay. Then the concept of jealousy would melt away. But really, that, that idea um, helps you ascertain where you focus your teshuva energies. And that's really the topic of today. If you think about it, where do I focus my teshuva energies? May God bless us all to be zocheh, to find those inflection points and change to the very best that we can become. Baruch Amen, amen.